Welcome to our final podcast of 2021, and it's part two of hiring and firing, which of course is firing. So Ben, before we start, what's new and useful, Ben? Who normally does inductions? Well, it's normally somebody in HR who's responsible for those, I guess. How about this? Get your new people to do inductions. Mm. Yes, we need HR. Yes, we need the, the founder or the managing director. Yes, we need the line manager. We've all got a role to play. But the induction I really want to have is the person that joined six months before me, who's able to say, hey, welcome aboard. Here's the stuff you really need to know right now. And here's the stuff I've worked out during my first six months. And you need to know this person, you need to know that person and do this, don't do that. That's what I want from an induction. I like it. It's the same idea as getting your new people to tell you after three months what they've spotted around the place, which you've become blind to. Yeah, totally. Why they still got that outside, inside perspective. Mm, nice. Great idea. I think it's really, really nice idea. I, I also come across CEOs who have got nothing to do with induction. And I yeah, say, and that's that's wrong as well. I agree. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Well, why not? You know, you're the you're the person who should really be talking about the purpose and the vision and the values and you know, do they get it? And so, yeah. But I really love the idea of getting them involved. It also makes them feel they're involved really early in the process of belonging to this organisation. Yeah, totally. We ask somebody who joined recently to do an induction, and it says, "Hey, you're one of us." Mm. No. You belong here. You bring our, you know, our next new brilliant person in. That's a great voter confidence. Great way to involve people. And, and by the way, don't just induct on day one when somebody changes roles, somebody moves from department to departments, somebody gets to their second anniversary in the organisation. Mm. Do it again and do it in the same way. I'm two years in. Let's get an induction from somebody who's four years in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm moving to the R&D department who joined the R&D department six months ago. Let's get them to do an induction. We can be doing these all the way through an employee's journey. Mm. Love it. I'm going to steal that one with pride. <laughs> Good, it's yours. <laughs> all right, so I need to start the clock. We'll be talking about firing. We will. Yep. For a half hour. We had hiring the other day. We said... It's one of the most important parts of your job, so do it and do it well. And for me, the same thing applies to firing, but it's a, you know, it's a dramatic title, isn't it? It dramatizes it, but it's one of the most important parts of the job. We've got to have the right people in the team and the wrong people out of the team. We've got to do it. We've got to do it well. You know, I've got some views about how we have that firing conversation if we want to call it that Mm. but before we get there one of my thoughts is never fire for performance I mean Mm. there's there's four reasons that we can we can terminate somebody Mm -hmm. and those are conduct capability or performance redundancy or something called some other substantial reason which is used rarely and and often for very senior people And three of those in my book, okay, but we should never be terminating somebody for reasons of capability or performance because 
we should spot those. Mm. And as good managers and good leaders, we should be putting conditions for success in place that mean that people never get into that position or that we help them through it. So that's my first thought, that a lot of the time we shouldn't be ending up in this situation. Yeah. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, you know, the great thing about questions, isn't it? You put them into your mind the last thing before you go to bed and you wake up at four o'clock and you go, oh, I've got an idea about that. And my, I started thinking, actually, I wrote down firing in the middle of a page and, and then straight away wrote down, but it shouldn't get to that. And I guess what I meant by that was, to your point, if you've got the right culture there where you've got regular one-to-ones, you're having honest conversations about performance and behaviours and values and master, developing mastery and long-term growth and all these things, then you create this relationship, this very honest and authentic relationship with with each of the people working with you. And it becomes apparent, or it should become apparent early on, whether there is a performance gap, and to your point, that then needs taking care of. We need to look at training and education and, and, and growth. And of course, the flip of that, where I get most of my conversations, which isn't in capability, is attitude and behaviours, which of course are you know, one of the biggest problems that you have to deal with in an organisation. When you end up in that horrible situation of, I don't think they fit, which is often the conversation we have. Yeah, and one of those, for me, is an acceptable reason for for somebody to, to leave, and the other one isn't. So performance, half the time it's not performance, it's expectations, or rather unspoken expectations. Mm-hmm. Those are the problem. You know, how can somebody perform if the expectations are not agreed between them? So as you say, we need to be talking. We need to be talking early. We need to be talking about how it's going. We need to, in that conversation, be clear about the expectation and the performance. And you know, that doesn't mean that I'm saying, hey, my expectation is this and what I think about your performance is, is that. It will be much more flowing than that as long as we start the conversation early and we're talking about what needs to be achieved and the progress being made towards that. So we need to get into those conversations and get into them early. Conduct, you know, poor behaviours, poor attitudes, Mm. we call them out and if they don't change, that's one of the reasons why we do, if we want to use our word, get into a firing situation. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're looking at people, I I came across a situational leadership framework matrix by Hershey and Blanchard, you know, quite an old one, but still quite useful, I think. I use situational leadership all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great Great model. Yeah, it is. And but they talk about this four box matrix, which of course, everyone does, don't they? We've all got one for everything we might talk about. And this is called the willing and able matrix. So on one axis, you've got willing at the top and unwilling at the bottom. And then on the other axis, you've got unable and able. So at the top right hand, you've got your, I guess, A players who are both willing and able. And you just want to develop them and grow them and challenge them and move them as quickly as you can because they're not, you just want to make sure you have got a plan for them actually because you don't want those guys to leave. Then if you go top left, you've got willing but unable. Now, why are they unable? If back to your point, if it's their, their capability, then we need to look at training and development and so on. If they're unable, 
because they don't buy into your business for some reason, then that's a different sort of conversation. If they're, if they're unwilling and able, not invested in purpose, which they describe, then that's kind of an obvious, you know, why are they not invested in the purpose of the business? And that's more of a problem for you. And of course, the bottom left is unwilling and unable, where it's fairly clear, they, they just don't want to be there. Yeah, although if they're bottom left, my approach would be, well, let's let's tackle the ability, the performance piece. Let's train them and mentor them, whatever our approach is, and see whether the willingness emerges. We'll talk to them about their mm. willingness as well. Because sometimes it's hard to be willing and enthused and motivated if we don't have the tools we need. Yeah, no, completely agree. And I've had a couple of occasions where I've been working with clients recently where a guy went into a new team and the leader of the team had some really direct and honest conversations with them about their performance. And the person picked their performance right up. And sometimes it does come back to that. How many times has somebody sat down with them and had a proper honest conversation and said, look, what, how do you think you're doing here? You know, how do you think you're behaving? Do you think you've got a future? You know, coach, leader as coach, ask lots of questions. Get them to say, in the best instances, well, do you know what? Maybe I'm not performing as well as I should do. Maybe I'm unhappy at home, or maybe I'm not bringing up my A game to work. And and that's what this person did, and started to flip it right around. And then the manager was getting all these comments from other managers who had them in their teams before, saying, "What have you done? How have you changed this round?" Well, he it wasn't any secret sauce here. He'd sat down and had an honest conversation with the person, which is the key to most things, isn't it? I, I agree. But the good conversations, are, the manager is is clear in their own mind that there's those two dimensions. There's attitude and there's performance. Yeah. And we know, don't we, that if somebody adopts the right attitude and they're progressing but slowly, we'll stick with them. Yeah. And if it takes six months rather than three months quite often we'll stick with them and why do we do that because they're grafting because their attitude is good because they're making progress mm-hmm. if it's the other way around different story so i think the the good managers they call out both they're mindful of both and we work with somebody who's got a good attitude as they gain performance mm-hmm. and we have a you know deliberately low tolerance for somebody who has a poor attitude and does not improve it mm-hmm. Mm. Once it's been pointed out to them and once they're being supported Mm. in all the other ways that they deserve to be supported. And it comes back to what we said before as well, I think. It comes back to on the leader, if you're not if you're letting somebody work in your organization who's showing a really bad attitude and people are seeing that happen around you, your credibility as a leader will be hit square and and central. And and you've got to think about that, you know. how do people be- and and the flip of that is very true too you deal with people which is obviously often the hardest thing to do you deal with them well you either improve them or you move them out into some other job that they'll be better suited for and your credibility goes up and and so think about that really hard i think when you when you're thinking about whether or not to have this honest conversation yeah okay so we're making progress aren't we point number 1 let's be clear about the difference between performance and attitude have good conversations early yeah point point number two is 
there's more options than keep a person, fire a person. As mm. you just said, if they're not right here, will they be right over there? Yeah. Now, we're only going to do that for somebody who's got a good attitude, of course. Mm. Yeah. Can we redeploy? Yeah. Right person, right seat. Mm -hmm. And so often they're not. And I talked to somebody this morning and mm -hmm. they were talking about just that, about somebody, you know, who's a great person, right attitude. The job has now become too big for them. Yeah. But with a great conversation, it was a, a relief. So again, don't, don't be shy. Have those conversations because often, so that person will be performing much better in a different job, be much happier. So again, have them early, I think, is, is the other thing here. Don't shy away. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of my rules back in my MD role and other leadership roles was that I should never fire for performance. If I was firing for performance reasons or somebody in my organization mm -hmm. was firing for performance reasons, it meant that we had failed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that created a, a great accountability for me. And by the way, having somebody in a performance management process, performance improvement plan, is it's one of the most damaging things, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> we can get those right, but so often, you know, some of them, they don't succeed. It's a hellish, horrible journey for that person, quite often for the for the people around them. So my rule was I need to get in front of that. I never fire poor performance. That means we've got to have those conversations early. We've got to be enabling good performance before it ever gets to that situation. And this would be a good opportunity for just remind people, because I wrote it on my piece of paper when I was thinking about exactly this point is, we promote people or we bring people into the organization or we move people within the organization and we don't go back to how much do they actually know about the job and how much have they been trained in the job and the role and the culture of how we deliver that job. So they might know marketing, but they might not know marketing in our business. So this structure that I use all the time, educate, coach, challenge and trust, We've got to go back to educate and say, do they really get exactly what they should be doing? Manage the expectations, as you said earlier, know where the targets are set, get all the assumptions on the table, agree and get that real clarity about what's expected. Understand from their perspective, do they need more training, more development, as well as what we think. And when you've nailed all that, you shouldn't really have much of a performance gap going forward because you can keep on top of it. The danger is we go too quickly. We think we've moved them. We've we brought them in, they're clever at this, they're good at that, and we jump straight into coach or challenge, and we've actually missed out that bit about can they really do that? They have the capability, do they do they understand what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely right. So your framework there, by the way, is also Blanchard. Yeah. Situation, situational leadership. Yeah, how many hours of induction should we be doing? Yeah, and what about the idea that a proper induction is 100 hours or 150 hours? Yeah. spread over the first six months of that person uh, becoming established and gaining real effectiveness in their new role. And I know about you, but when you say a figure like that, sometimes it's kind of like, whoa, that's a big figure. Yeah. But I see a massive correlation, and, 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 and you will as, as well, I'll, I'll, 
I'll beat you to, to confirming this with me because I'm sure you do. A huge correlation to those organizations that put a hell of a lot of time and effort and energy into training and development and coaching people and get so and the performance of the business and those that don't. It's it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, huge. Organizational learning, learning and development. Induction is just one moment yeah. on, on that journey. And I think it's thought provoking. If induction should be 150 hours, how do we feel that? Mm. All right. So you said, Ian, it shouldn't get to that. And mm -hmm. we've talked about that. Of course, some of the time it does get to that. And it's really important that when we do have the wrong person, we do get them out. So we're halfway. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What do you want to talk about, Ben? What do we do? What are the steps? Well, my rule on this was you had my rule number one, never fire for performance. Yeah. Rule number two, only good levers. And I've said this many mm. times on the podcast. And how do we do that? Three things. Be firm and fair when we get to that situation where somebody is on the cusp of, of leaving the organization. In fact, let's say this is a termination conversation then we need to be clear, firm, and fair. We need to communicate that the decision has been made and this isn't a negotiation mm -hmm. conversation. That's number one. Number two, remember that this is a situation that backs people into a corner. Mm. And when any animal, human beings included, mm. backs into a corner, they fight. A large number of them fights and we you know and that was my mindset anytime I went into one of these conversations and we could put that another way because something I often hear when I talk to people about to have this conversation or afterwards when they told me that they've had the conversation and how it went one of the things they've said as the manager is hey look this isn't personal mm. BS <laughs> it is personal we're taking somebody's job away from them yeah. It's as personal as it gets to that person. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my number two. We must remember for them, it is personal. We're backing them into a corner. That's what we've got to know as we go in. And my number three is it's our job to conduct those conversations in a way that puts the person back on their front foot and enables them to move forward with their head held high. We owe them that. Yeah, and I think the best conversations at that point will get the person to the point where they've realised it. They've realised that, obviously, because you're going to go through the change curve, aren't you, with a bit of denial in there and a bit of anger and so on. But when you can come through that and say, OK, I accept what's going on here. I accept this isn't right for me. I accept I haven't been happy. I accept I haven't been putting in the performance, whatever the things are. Then you can get to the conversation which says, OK, Let's talk about where you're going to go now. Let's talk about what you're going to do now. What would be best for you? Because I think the best organizations are thinking that far ahead as well and saying, well, what would this person be suitable for? They're not really just cutting them off and saying, good luck. They're having a conversation with them. They want the person, as you said, right at the front, which is good lever. You want the person to say, well, you know, I was, I was supported and helped. These are the areas that, 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 that my previous employers saw me as being good at. They weren't what they needed in all aspects of the job I held. 
but I've had some, you know, I've got some good experience here and I've got some things I'm really capable of. So how do I use those going forward? And, you know, some outplacement agencies and some coaching that can help you beyond the organization you're in. These are all things that organizations can help you with post employment in that organization. Yeah, all, all of those things. And and let's remember that we've got to this point not for reasons of performance because we got in front of those and mm. we fixed them. So if we're in this position, it's because of continued poor conduct, maybe misconduct, or redundancy is the, is the other common mm-hmm. reason to be here. Yes, occasionally we might have some other substantial reason, but mm-hmm. it's going to be one of those two. So we need to be firm and clear. We, we need to follow... Our HR procedure as well. But then, yeah, exactly that. Remember, it's personal. Mm. Put them on their front foot, build up all of the good points, which are going to mean that they walk on their front foot, head held high into their next interview and they get the right job. That's my mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's if it's under two years, well, we can have a, a conversation pretty easily. with. If it's over two years, don't forget the protected conversation, the off-the-record conversation, where you can talk to the, the person about uh, what you should do. And obviously, you need HR advice on all of those things. Oh, you need legal advice for a protected conversation, not HR. Well, yeah. I, I guess, in my view, HR should have the the knowledge, the legal knowledge of what they're talking yeah. about to, to advise you in the first instance. And yeah. not the, all... the point is that that's a legal process, not an HR process. And we need yeah. to remember that. Yeah, that's right. But not all line managers will be au fait at all with that. And, no, no, absolutely and, not. And, and uh, I had I had a conversation about how to have protective conversations just just the other the the other morning. What do you think about this? I mean, protective mm-hmm. conversations where the organisation is in dispute with a person, we offer them a protected conversation which will be confidential and off the record, and we can talk freely. And and in that conversation, there's a mutual agreement about that person leaving and how how they will leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it leads to a settlement. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. what we're really talking about yeah, here is a exactly. assessment. So what do you think about that, Ian? What do you think about settlements? Well, I think they're a last resort. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the fact that you should look at yourself as an organisation and say, how did we get here? Because, you know, going back to my first point is we shouldn't get to this point. We, you know, it, it, but I do, I do, you do see it in organisations where, uh, you know, I can remember working for a board years ago and saying, Let's write on, we had an away day, let's write on this flip chart who any of the people who you regard as being problematic and we had big cultural problems. And, you know, we wrote up six people and I said, how long have some of these people been here and which is the worst? And then we put them in priority order and there was somebody at the top who had been in the organisation for 20 years. And, and, and I said, well, why is this person, why are we talking about this person after 20 years of, of obviously decreasing performance and the performance wasn't the fact that they weren't able it was just it was attitude and behavior it got worse and worse and worse they become quite toxic quite and it got to the point where they had become increasingly difficult to manage increasingly toxic and they should have handled it way way before this and but i think they ended up in one of these protected conversations because they were too far down the line yeah so i don't quite agree that these should be a, a last resort being in this position should be rare mm. yeah being in this position where we've got limited options that's a position of last resort mm-hmm. once we're in that position actually i think settlements can quite often be uh, a good way to go 
what's the alternative? We drag somebody through their notice period to earn their notice pay and work out their contractual uh, mm. commitments when they can't or the situation can't offer us productivity. It's a drudgery for them. It's a drudgery for everyone around mm. them. And it's a drudgery for the organization. Why would we do that? Yeah, we're guaranteed to pay all of that salary anyway. A settlement, a mutual agreement to stop now head held high, same amount of money, a little bit more, and it's done. Doesn't seem like such a bad option to me. No, I think it's a good it's a good option. We shouldn't we shouldn't be in that we shouldn't be taking that option very often. If we are, we should be looking at ourselves like, why on earth are we getting these positions? I think you get to as you quite rightly, you know, I've been in a position where when I was MD and 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 somebody did something quite awful. And we went down the route of one of these protective conversations and we, 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 we terminated it very quickly. And there wasn't all the mess in the organization. And as you say, this kind of like protracted, problematic way of getting them out of the business. And, and they could leave fairly quickly and we could get on with our, with our work. Yeah, they did something quite awful. If it's gross misconduct, I feel a little, a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. And in that situation, I, I wouldn't go down a protected conversational settlement route it's it's gross misconduct it's end of story but the other Mm. stuff Mm. still applies we need to be clear firm and fair yeah and the decision is made in that situation it's not a negotiation we need to remember that that person is backed into a corner they're really backed into a corner if it's gross misconduct got to remember that it's definitely personal for them and our job is still to have that conversation Mm. in a way that puts them back on their front foot and enables them to leave the organization feeling that they have been fairly treated and able to move into their next job interview head held high. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a, that's the place to get it to. And there is a place for it, but hopefully not a regular place for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we talked about how to have the conversation. Yeah. We talked about settlements. What do we do next? How do we communicate it? This has happened. Somebody mm. has left. Mm. They've left quickly and suddenly. How do we communicate that? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it it goes back a little bit to the culture of the organization, the credibility of the leader. If there's something you can't talk about for legal reasons, you can't talk about it. But other than that, when people leave because they have um, not lived the values, not lived the behaviors, had the wrong attitude, I think that's something we should we should say to the organization why the person why are we part of company because you want to reinforce your culture and this is an opportunity to do that and to show that it matters it matters hugely to us um i think as i say the only proviso in there is if they've done something which legally we shouldn't really be talking about but i think it's really dangerous when we when we kind of cut, almost you see leaders kind of just you know, the employees turn around and go, where did so-and-so go? Oh, he left. And then, of course, all the stories will be made up and people will say, well, I think he left because of this or I think she left because of that. And and before you know it, there's a whole load of spin going on within the organisation and assumptions being made. Yeah, although if we if that's happening, let me, let me approach this the other way around, actually. If, as leaders, we're getting all of the other stuff that we've been discussing correct... Mm-hmm. then that won't happen Should be. because we're doing so much that people know and they realize oh that person has left 
quickly and I know what the reason is. And then, you know, so it depends where we are as an organization, really, because I agree with you as well. Because if we have got that problem, we need to find a way to articulate our values and the reasons for what we do accept and what we don't accept. And then the other part of the communication is... Is simply we do need to do some good communication here. Mm. We need to give a positive message, then the immediate plan for that role, for that team, and then what next. So if the immediate plan is that Jane is going to lead the team for the coming two months, we hire, well, then we need to communicate that. This is what's happened. Positive message about that. Nice and short. What's happening immediately? Who do people report to? How are they going to get what they need? And then what's the medium term plan? Yeah, I agree. You want people to have real clarity over what's happened and and what the plan is. And we and we've got to get the organisation if it is hanging on to w- what happened with this person to move on very quickly and go. Okay, this is where we are now. Let's crack on and be really positive about our future. Yeah. There was one other thing I came across, which is interesting. In Netflix, and I think it was introduced by the CEO, Reed Hastings. In Netflix, they have a keeper test. And a keeper test is they ask leaders, would you fight to keep an employee if they said they were looking for another job? And so you kind of go through your list of employees or your direct reports and you say, if if they came to me and said they were looking for another job, would I fight to keep them? Mm-hmm. And you can yeah. get, and you could simply go yes I would yes I would yes I would oh I'm not so sure right and yeah. you go through that list and then yeah. they say so if you say you're not so sure or no then you have to have a talk about them improving how they're doing or you let them go there we are time's up yeah that's um the keeper test what a great call to action yeah I like it. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that we immediately catapult that person out of the organization. We've had an important realization it's a call to action for the leader, for the manager. Exactly, exactly. It's yeah. really, really cool. Really like really it. Really nice. Very similar to, to another question, uh, which is knowing what you know now, would mm. you hire this person again? Mm. Exactly, yeah. Really similar. Again, it's a call to action. It might tease out. A slightly different dimension to the keeper test but the the netflix book no rules is mm. a fantastic fantastic listen actually so i thoroughly recommend that mm. i haven't i haven't read that one but i seem to know quite a bit about them by googling them so maybe i should read the book and get the whole bit in one place yeah good book it's on it's on audible uh good good listen it's full of good stuff so ian that was uh that was old car horn that was our yeah that was our half hour our time is up and we covered some some good ground there so what what are your essential takeaways my essential takeaways have the discipline to have one-to-ones and don't let it get other than extreme circumstances to to firing think about other ways of doing this have have what you might term the first few times uncomfortable conversations but have honest conversations with people because when you create that right culture that ongoing that discipline to have regular conversations with people you're going to deal with this stuff really easily and on an ongoing basis and there'll only be occasions when actually you're into this oh my gosh this guy's got to be fired or this girl's got to be fired yeah, yeah. And and for me, 
three essential rules, two of them I spoke about, the third we've, you know, we've been talking around all the way through. Number one, don't let it be a surprise to them or to you. If it's a surprise to either party, there's something else wrong here. So mm-hmm. don't let it be a surprise, never fire for performance, mm-hmm. and then only good leaders, always good leaders. And if you strive to achieve those things, I think you're not going to go far wrong. Excellent. That's wrapped up the second part of hiring and firing. Have a great Christmas, everyone. It's been a hard year. So have a rest, I would say, is the big advice I give to everyone. And enjoy Christmas. Here, here. And thank you for listening all the way through 2021.